passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And Lesnar with a chair, assaulting Strowman. The monster in the bank might regret trying to make his withdrawal tonight. Yeah, I guess that's one way to make sure that the contract's not cashed in. And out back into the ring, Brock Lesnar in a mood tonight. A vile and vicious mood. And Ranger oh, to the champion. Here's the cover. Hook of the leg. Reigns did it. Roman Reigns did it. Reigns is the champion. Here's your winner. And the new Universal Champion, Roman Reigns. I can't believe it. Roman Reigns finally did it. After six hours and two minutes, the 31st annual slash 30th anniversary of SummerSlam is in the books. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. And Wei, tell me, what was your favorite of the 362 minutes tonight? Oh, okay. Uh, we're starting off with that right away. Just our highlights. What, what was your favorite minute of SummerSlam? Um, There was probably a portion of Joe versus AJ that I absolutely loved. So probably a minute somewhere in there if we're uh, talking about highlights. Yeah. I'll tell you what my favorite five seconds of the entire show were. Okay. Daddy, you're bleeding. <laughs> that was pretty damn good. Oh, my God. The <laughs> star. Annie Styles. Oh, man. Kids are always there great. Is some, oh, like, Rey Mysterio's kids were tremendous when they have been utilized in the past. I mean, Dominic is now a you know wrestler. He's, like, training. And his daughter, Aaliyah, was outstanding during that CM Punk one. But, man, she was just, like, adorable. And you could tell this was just her honest reaction to her father bleeding i mean i mean what a moment it's almost unfair because it, it, it they don't know any better so it very much was uh honest i mean noel foley really you know the uh, a pioneer in that department i suppose that's that's true you know what the history of child wrestling actresses and actors i i i love to know the conversation that joe might have had with uh uh, AJ's daughter backstage just you know what are the types of conversations you have with children to kind of let them know hey this is daddy's friend we're, we're just gonna play fight out there and uh, uh, you know but at the same time not to completely ruin it so that you do get a genuine reaction I wonder yeah yeah it's interesting we'll, we'll get into that um, there's so much to cover before we start everything I just want to give a brief detour here because on Sunday I went to the CNE you're familiar with the CNE. This is a, the Canadian National Exhibition uh, that comes to town the final couple of weeks of August. And I just want to say, I went to the food court area in the food building. And I had the greatest chicken sandwich of my life. WH has to rejig his whole scale because the Reuben bows down to the Nashville hot chicken sandwich that is available now. I'm telling every 
listener here that is within driving distance of Toronto to get to this place and go to uh, Hot Tokyo, which is literally sandwiched in between a Mr. Greek and a Montreal deli in the food building at the CNE this year. Oh, my God. This this sandwich was outstanding. Like wow. the best meal I've had this whole year. Just a random. I had to just choose something that I was going to eat and I was going to go to the deli. And then I saw this. I was like, ah, let's try this. Oh, man. So good. I'm happy to hear that you found something. Yeah, the food building is is kind of hit and miss uh, sometimes. You know, the the food building for people who aren't aware in the CNE is sort of like this place where they have uh, a number of like crazy food ideas. Like this is where you'll find, I don't know, chocolate chicken or like. Oh, they they have all this crazy stuff. But I tried this sandwich and I said afterwards, I don't care how great SummerSlam is tonight. This is the highlight of my day. Oh, it was so great. good. That's good. I was like, I, I have to talk about this on the show tonight. Well, just to to alert you, way because you, you, you may actually go to the CNE over the next two weeks, and I highly, highly recommend you get this, uh, this sandwich because you and I are are very uh, in simpatico when it comes to uh, fried chicken and especially in sandwich form. Okay, thank you for the recommendation. Well, if it will usurp WH's current number one of the Montreal smoked meat. I suppose I have a recent uh, sampling of that as well, because that's where I was last night. I actually uh, took my nephew uh, and my family out to Montreal, and we actually had some Montreal smoked meat. Not at Schwartz's, but at the place right across from it called Maine's. Which is- wait, 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 wait. You went to Montreal last night? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's not like just a, hey, let's get in the car and go. That's six hours. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But, like, uh, my family doesn't tend to plan trips um uh, all on like too well <laughs> and so this was kind of like a bit of a spontaneous hey let's drive to montreal because my nephew really wanted to see um these these set the set of buildings called habitat 67 uh okay i don't know if you're familiar with that is it's just like i'm not it's it, there's like the we're getting off on a terrible terrible no thing. i want to know this because okay. this is a an incredible story that you just you went to montreal and when did you come back this morning did you stay over? Uh, I came. I came back during the kickoff, so I started watching the kickoff in the in the car actually. On Twitter. Oh wow! Uh, what a day! Yeah, a bit of a long day. Uh, anyway, so you know, um, so his his mother is actually an architect, so like she recommended, hey, you're in Canada, like they live in Japan, so like she's like, oh, you're in Canada, you should go see this thing. It's like a really popular architectural place. It's called Habitat sixty seven, which is like a. Uh, are you familiar with the Expo, like the World Expo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this might be even why they're called the Expos. But anyway, 1967, uh, Montreal, or close to that date, they held that, the the Expo. And then, like, they designed a set of, like, buildings that I think were designed as community housing uh, in this, like, really intricate and and unique, like, cube type of setting. Just Google it, Habitat 67. And so, um, it, I guess um, it, it piqued his interest enough that he wanted to go see it. And it's his last weekend here, so we're like, man, what the hell? Let's drive to Montreal. Five-hour, six-hour drive. We stayed there, like, really just, I don't know. Um, we only got to, like, spend, like, five hours in the, in, in the evening there. We stayed overnight at a really shitty motel uh, and then had breakfast in Old Montreal and then drove back for six hours. So it was just, like, a one-night thing, very spontaneous. Wow. This is the start that no one would have predicted for our SummerSlam review. Well, that's yeah. great. I, we all had great encounters uh, this weekend with food, with uh, different provinces. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, so I'm not even going to ask you about Takeover because I will assume you have not seen it. I yet, watched so it. I, rec- I watched it in the shitty motel. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's go through SummerSlam first because uh, okay. I, I know people want to get let, to that, let, and then at the end of the show we'll get to your Takeover thoughts. I, we don't even have to talk about those. Like you and uh, Davey and Braden did a great job uh, covering the show, so that's available on both our current feed as well as the Up Next feed. So you guys can go check that out. Maybe I'll talk about uh, NXT next uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to, you know, if this was a television show, I'd do one of the, the WWE Did You Know graphics using their their funny math. And I would say it was the most listened to up next in history uh, because we put it on two different feeds. Wonderful. Good to yeah. hear. Yeah, I'm learning the accounting tricks out there. All right, SummerSlam. It started an eternity ago uh, at the Barclays Center. Their second of four consecutive nights in the building announced sellout uh, to the uh, the spectators and those uh, tuning in. And the pre-show, uh, not a whole lot to talk about here. Uh, we had Renee Young with Sam Roberts, Booker T, and David Otunga. Plus, JBL was brought back for one night and hanging out with uh, Peter Rosenberg. And I will say this, uh, a consistent throughout the show way was all the key matches. I thought the video packages were stellar tonight. Oh, yeah, as always. I think now more than ever, they are very much almost a post-production company. So, I mean, with the promos that they cut, how could they really... I mean, again, these promos often are, are done, I think, with the intent of these video packages in mind. So uh, you really could just watch these and, and just go into these shows pretty cold without having seen any Raws or SmackDowns. Yeah, the the Daniel Bryan Miz one really jumped out at me on the kickoff show. I thought that was great. And uh, one of the highlights was Booker T blaming JBL for all of these problems from the Miz because he was bullied and kicked out of the locker room years and years ago by JBL. And the Miz has... Never been happy since. Does that mean we can blame Booker T for the success of the Young Bucks and being the elite? Uh, I guess it would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought Booker T was maybe going to bring up uh, all the different uh, degrees of separation here at SummerSlam when he, him and Batista got on into that fight for a SummerSlam commercial shoot one year. Wow. And then they, and then they had to work together. It's all connected. It is. And uh, then we had a backstage segment, Aiden English apologizing again to Rusev and Lana, who was told to stay back tonight. And the unfortunate uh, who drew number one in this uh, draw of 13 matches was Andrade, Cien Almas, and Zelina Vega against Rusev and Lana. Now, I didn't think this was as bad as last year, where the Hardys had a six-man tag. It was the Miz and the Miz Taraj against the Hardys and Jason Jordan. And that arena was damn near empty for that opening match. It was very dark, so it was hard to see, but, I mean, the crowd was hardly full at this point, but I didn't feel it was as big a negative as it was last year, where I remember that being a really down point to being in that opening match. I didn't really notice, you know, whether or not the crowd was was sparse or uh, too full either way, to be honest. They broke it up into two... Two sections. The first being the men involved. Almas did the Minoru Suzuki armbar in the ropes. And then Rusev shoved Almas to the floor. This led to Lana getting the tag, so Zelina had to come in. Lana did her spinneroony and the double knees to the back of Vega's neck. Uh, briefly, the crowd started uh, singing, Lana is the best, Lana number one. And then Vega ran Lana into the turnbuckle hit the running knees. Lana tried on two occasions to slap almost on the apron and on the second time succeeded. But in doing so, Vega capitalized, rolling her up. And Vega was supposed to get her feet on the ropes, but was so far out, she couldn't get them on until like the count of three. Mm -hmm. She finally got them on the rope. So a little messed up there. 
I mean, I didn't think this was anything of note. It was seven minutes, and Andrade and Zelina Vega won. It was not a great match by any means. Uh, I think... But it, you know, like, again, like you're getting Lana and you're getting Zelina Vega in here. And we've kind of seen what these two are able to do on their own as a mixed tag. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that much better. Mm. You're dealing with, I, I think, somebody in Lana in particular who, you know, kind of is just extremely limited still. And I, I, at the same time, though, it didn't seem to affect this crowd because this crowd uh, were sing- was singing for her. Uh, they saw Rusev and Lana as big stars, and they seemed to get into the match despite maybe how, I don't know, um, uh, primitive some of the offense looked. So mm-hmm. not a great match at all, but, you know, this crowd wanted to cheer Rusev and Lana despite how, despite all that. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by the outcome because I feel that Almas is the one that they have plans for. But it is interesting when you look at the babyface side on SmackDown that you have Styles, you have Brian, and Jeff Hardy, I say, would say, is your top three. Once you get beyond that, it's pretty sparse when it comes to babyfaces that you would think Rusev would be a contender for being one of those big babyfaces on SmackDown. And coming out of this, it seems that if he's programmed for anything, it's with Aiden English. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think they had their chance with Rusev. And if they were serious about it, I feel like we would have seen that push by now. Uh, for whatever reason, I think they maybe just see him at this level for the time being. I agree. Uh, Jerry Lawler was brought in for the second hour of the kickoff show. And then Charlie Caruso interviewed Paul Heyman backstage. He gave a big promo about Lesnar getting rid of Roman tonight. He's going to go challenge for the heavyweight championship. And Reigns will not come back for more after tonight. Backstage segment with all of the general managers, Kurt Angle, Page, and yes, Drake Maverick. And they were all marveling over the lineups that each brand had put together, which was very nice to include Drake Maverick and the stellar 205 Live offering that we have tonight that really showcases that brand to its fullest uh, extent. He was in this segment, and I had no idea why. Like, for the first portion of it, they didn't give him any lines. Like, he looked kind of bewildered that he was asked to be a part of this. So, but then Baron Corbin came in, and I understood. Yeah, Baron walked in, uh, told Angle to have Brock's private locker room ready, and then he mocked Drake Maverick for being short. Yes. And that was about it, and... They uh, Paige and Drake Maverick brought up what a constable is supposed to represent, and he doesn't. Right, yeah. I guess to just get the short joke in there, as well as the, the England uh, constable reference, uh, I guess. It's it's almost too bad, because I feel like uh, I haven't seen 205 Live in a while, but when I was watching it uh, as recently as maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, May, June? Like, Drake Drake Maverick really has been uh, an excellent, excellent performer, so... I I really do feel like he is worthy of, of having a, some type of talking role on the main roster. And, uh, you know, he's great. I, I think he's really great. Um, yeah, hopefully I, I love him in the in that role. And yeah, I mean, I watched it this week. You know, it's it's the same old like, you know, it's it's an entertaining hour. If you tune in, you're not going to be disappointed. It's just it's the same uh, criticisms and praise conversely that the show's had for a long time. And that took us into the Cruiserweight title match. Cedric Alexander, Drew Gulak. Before that, uh, Jerry Lawler showed up. Yeah, I mentioned. Yeah, oh, he was okay. brought in here on the panel. Yeah. Um, his first appearance, of course, since uh, the passing of his son. And yeah, he was on for the second hour of the kickoff show. Alexander and Gulak. Uh, Gulak was in red, white, and blue trunks. 
And Drew Gulak has tried to get under the skin of Cedric Alexander by calling him the Brock Lesnar of 205 Live. A scathing insult in 2018 WWE booking. Mm. Amazing where they've, uh, they've brought that to. Uh, Alexander went to enter the ring and got met with a boot. And Gulak started attacking the neck of Alexander. And that went on for several minutes until Ag- Alexander hit a flatliner. And then a Topicon Hero, which was the first big spot of the match. Alexander got knocked off the turnbuckle. The Gulak was applied on the ropes, so he had to release them. Then reapplied, but was blocked by Alexander, who landed the spinning elbow. And then Gulak dropped him with hard slaps. It seemed like there was definitely an influence off the G1 way with the hard slaps throughout this show. Like, that seemed pretty prominent amongst people you would assume are following stuff like the G1. I I felt that way myself, too. Yeah, uh, hard slapping. Mm. You don't see that often. I don't really know if it was ever really a thing in the WWE. And yet on this show, I feel like guys kind of really pulled it out. Alexander went for a handspring and was caught with the ankle lock that he escaped Caught him with a standing Spanish fly. Gulak countered that into a cradle. They traded near falls, ending with Alexander stacking him up for the win. 10 minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, I, I thought that the closing sequence was really strong. Yeah, I thought I thought overall the match was very good. But uh, I, I think my problem was, you know, always just maybe what most of the crowd's issue with this match was in that, that it's probably just a little bit tough to care you know, without being all that invested in what these guys are fighting for. Um, this, you know, these are kind of two of the mainstays of that 205 Live roster. Uh, I don't know how many people in attendance would have been following their story. Even if they were, I don't know how much of that story would have done to really change your mind about uh, how little to care about this match. Yeah, it just seemed like three quarters of the match was just put together like a, you know, like a heavyweight match for it's, it just seems that they believe we're not going to go balls out for 10 minutes. It will build up to one or two big spots and end with a big flurry. And it just seemed the audience, you know, kind of just sat there for this undercard match. It's, it's Gulak style, though, isn't it? But It is. And that's, you know, I don't know if ne- people necessarily want that out of the cruiserweight division, mm-hmm. if that's what got them into it. But I, I really enjoyed the ending sequence here. And it, it was a good match with a better crowd. I think they would have... Um, it, it would have been talked about a lot more than what it was, but th- it was fine for what it was. Uh, Peter Rosenberg, JBL, they were uh, previewing the three-way, and then it featured a panel interview with Samoa Joe, who began the interview by congratulating Renee on now having, once again, a two-income household <laughs> with Dean Ambrose's return. Awesome. Just great. Dean's yeah. not even on the same brand as Joe, but I... I... No, this is just like him being a dick yeah. with no program building at all. Great. Uh, Joe doesn't fear any retaliation from Styles because he's in his head. Styles is mentally broken and he's acting like a phenomenal victim. And he questions if Styles has really been doing all this in his career for his family or for his ego. And Styles better get a pillow ready because he's putting him to sleep. Just uh, knock this out of the park, as this man has done for just about every promo this year. At some point at the end of this, I mean, this very much took place like a, you know, back and forth interview type of setting. But then towards the end, they decided to, like, keep the camera really close on Joe. They turned down the crowd audio in the mix. And that's when I think Joe is really at his best, when he's, like, talking in a room alone right at the viewer in in almost a close-up form. So I think they recognize that. Final match on the kickoff was the B-team against the Revival. Revival 
immediately hit the shatter machine to Curtis Axel, taking him out for the majority of this, but he was not the legal man. So they worked over the left leg of Bo Dallas, uh, just cutting the ring off. Some good work here from the Revival. And then Dallas came back with a top rope spinning neckbreaker to Wilder, making the tag to Axel. And Wilder then prevented Axel from hitting the perfect plex, and the referee got distracted with Dallas and Wilder on the apron. Dawson used a small package with the referee's back turned. There's no count. And then Wilder snapped Dallas's neck on the top rope. Dallas stumbled over top of them and reversed the small package. So Axel was able to pin Dawson at six minutes and 12 seconds. So it seems that the B team, it is coming up with clever ways for them to fluke their way into victory. And that continued here. Clever in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, this... Uh... Yeah. This was just uh, kind of forgettable. Yeah, it's it's just, I, you know, I thought I did think it was an interesting twist on 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 this on t- their typical matches by essentially kind of turning it into a handicap match to start. Uh, but despite I think what they built up to for that hot tag, when Axel finally got in, it's not like this crowd seemed to care that much about it. Um, decent reaction for the finish, but I think my myself and I'm I think I speak for a large portion of the audience. This division, in particular, leading uh, being led by the B team, just is awfully uninteresting at the moment. Um, it also means that uh, we will probably no longer see the deleters of worlds for a while because Matt Hardy. Mm, do you, do you have any update on that? I don't. It just seems like he's taking care of uh, some injuries, and there was the uh, report in the Observer this week that he's been shadowing. Uh, some of the producers. So he that's... tweeted a photo, in fact, uh, tonight of him okay. looking like uh, he's in some type of backstage role on this show. Matthew Hardy. Yeah, I look OK in a suit as he's going over uh, some type of uh, script with uh, Mike, my, the, the Rome, that the dude. Yeah, Mike Rome. Yes. So uh, he might have been producing tonight. Well, there you go. I'm sure that I think he would uh, do very well in that position. Matt's a very smart guy. Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, a guy who's been in that system like prob- probably longer than than most on the uh, back there. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, another member of the the TLC crew that could be producing with Devon. Yeah, that's right. Um, like last we heard, it sounds like he he's going to go through some some procedures or surgery and then make a final decision on on uh, his entering career. Nothing's official. No, official has been announced yet. No, no. So I think it's a question mark regarding his future. So that concluded the kickoff portion. We went into the main show featuring a big opening video starring Terry Crews, who asked what describes success and what defines it. And I joked that in 2019 for this company, it's called television contracts and are defined by Fox and NBC Universal. That is success for this company. And Cruz told us to bear witness to another SummerSlam. It's funny you uh, mentioned that because it felt like this opening pro segment was very much inspired by, you know, like uh, something you would see on NFL on Fox or, or some, mm-hmm. some other kind of sports presentation. Uh, it felt very different for the WWE. It felt very upscale mainstream, and I liked it. I, I think it's anytime you do something big and grand involving a Hollywood celebrity like this, Terry Crews did a great job, by the way. I thought this whole thing was very well scripted, very well delivered by Terry Crews. Uh, and I think it's a little, to me, it's at least, 
it, it might be clear where that SummerSlam advertising budget went because it certainly wasn't <laughs> the commercials with the with the memes and all all that. So this was oh, certainly boy. better than that. And we're gonna go through a hell of a promo for Hell in a Cell next month, oh everybody. If you're if you're into all the social media gadgets that they want to incorporate into promos. Dolph Ziggler, Seth Rollins started off the main show for the Intercontinental Intercontinental title. Drew McIntyre in Ziggler's corner, Dean Ambrose in Rollins' corner, and the reaction. They brought out Ambrose first, followed by Rollins, and this place lost their minds for their entrances. They just screamed as these two were coming out. Mm -hmm. Huge reaction. The opposite of uh, the main event, I guess. (laughs) So Ziggler had some custom tights designed for SummerSlam with the Intercontinental title design on the front of his tights. Uh, This was not a Rick Rude home run with tights, in my uh, fashionable opinion. no. Look kind of look kind of silly to me. He's just got so much going on on his tights. Well, I mean, so did Rick Rude, didn't he? But somehow it worked with, with Rick Rude. I think, I think Velveteen Dream wins the uh, uh, Rick Rude impersonator um, award for this weekend. How about Seth Rollins, though? Seth Rollins was wearing this, like, blue and gold uh, tights with... Alternate boots, like one boot was uh, blue, and I think the other was gold. Yes, Thanos. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Complete with infinity boots. Oh, is that what those? Yeah, were? he wow. even had the gems on the toes if you saw close enough. Oh, I didn't see that at yeah, all. So wow. you, I'm, I'm glad you uh, you had the uh, attention to detail here. Well, somebody's got to be Braden Harrington on this show. Uh. Which, by the way, Braden was very impressed with himself, as was I, at his call of uh, Velveteen Dream's entrance. Yeah. And then there was, oh, there was another one later Venom. in the show. as And and the Venom one as well. Yeah. I mean, that was that was very impressive on his part. Mm-hmm. Highlight of his career. Uh, Michael Cole mentioned that uh, Ziggler performed at Caroline's on Friday, the comedy club, but clarified, tonight is no joke. Thanks. Michael Cole. Uh, Ziggler attacked the knee of uh, Seth Rollins, wore him down, was just controlling it. It was a very kind of deliberate pace at the beginning that was just kind of setting the mood for the match. And you got the sense these guys are going long. And they did. Uh, Into the ring, Rollins rolled through on a crossbody, and then they go over the top. And Coach says this is the most important title run of Ziggler's career, probably missing out on his world title run that he had in 2013. Uh, Rollins then knocked Ziggler down from the turnbuckle. Ziggler was rolling away, got to the floor, and Z- and Rollins hit this big suicide dive, followed by a springboard clothesline, and Ziggler kicked out of the ripcord knee as they picked up the pace at this point. Uh, there was a jumping DDT onto the apron, where Rollins took the DDT and got back in at the count of nine. A lot more apron stuff lately, too. There was a lot on this show yeah. of apron stuff, including an absolutely insane mm-hmm. spot later in the show. Rollins landed the super kick, went for the frog splash, and Ziggler got the knees up. And Ziggler went for the cover, very strong near fall. And then Rollins scaled to the top for an inverted superplex. He hits it. Uh, Ziggler used to always take this during his matches with Alberto Del Rio. But then Rollins added his uh, his own uh, addition to this with an elevated inverted DDT. This was awesome. The crowd gave this a standing ovation for this near fall. It looked spectacular. I feel like this was really when uh, the crowd started to connect with this match because I think as good as these two typically are, the first portion of it 
didn't seem to really uh, catch uh, my attention, you know, seeing these guys as many times as I already have. Yeah, and then it ended with McIntyre sending Dean Ambrose into the steps, setting up a zigzag spot by Ziggler. Rollins kicked out of that, and somehow in all of this, Rollins got cut open on the forehead. We got a bit of blood on this show, and not intentional either. Ambrose came back, hit the dirty deeds to Drew on the floor, and Rollins capitalized, hitting the stomp and pinning Dolph Ziggler. 22 minutes, one second, he wins the Intercontinental title. I would say uh, miles ahead of their Iron Man match, but I still think I like their their lengthy Raw match that they had uh, two months ago a bit more than this one, though the final five to six minutes of this were really, really solid stuff. I, I thought this was a great match, one of the best on the show. I thought it... It was. It ended up being good, but I kind of felt like it started off a bit dull. And part of that is perhaps because I, 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 they've kind of exhausted this combination so much already. We've seen them in an Iron Man match already, so it's going to take something as crazy as an inverted superplex into a, a reverse twisting DDT inverted blah 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 to really catch my attention. And I think that's what this match um, needed to to kind of get me. And then they they'd never let go of this crowd after that spot, so. It turned into a hot opener, but I felt like it kind of struggled to start. I really like the idea of Rollins and Drew McIntyre peeling off after this. Um, do you see this, you know, just a, a tag match coming out of this? Or I mean, even what, Rollins what, what McIntyre, Rollins? even Rollins McIntyre, they've already done. I, I they did it once on TV, and I, I thought that was a tease for for more down the road. I, I think they haven't really done too much at this point. I mean, I do want to see. I, I feel like with Rollins with holding the belt. Everybody is just waiting for Dean to turn so that he can have a program with Rollins. I think before they get there, do the tag match against Ziggler and and McIntyre. Uh, And then at some point, you know, maybe you do a rematch of that even. But man, I feel like after that, they have to move on and just give us Dean Dean versus Rollins. Because at this point, everybody kind of expects it anyway. Renee Young was backstage and interviewed the Bella Twins, who are here to witness history. They're going to be out there to watch Brock Lesnar. <laughs> they were asked about the Evolution pay-per-view, but said that they're just so busy with all their businesses, their television shows. They painfully promoted all of their shows. But tonight, they're just here to have fun. They're going to be sitting in the front row tonight to watch Ronda Rousey become the Raw Women's Champion. Crowd shit on this. All of the appearances from the Bellas, save for Dream Bellas' appearance with Daniel Bryan, got completely booed here. And you watch a segment like this, I don't know how they could have expected any other reaction. Because here you are, um, the Bella Twins, who for whatever reason are still it, it, very unlikable, I think, when they come uh, when they do interviews like this. Because they came out here and what did they do? They came here to just plug all their businesses, uh, their clothing brand, uh, their wine brand, their reality shows. Everything that I think, if you're a fan of solid professional wrestling you you immediately recognize as being insincere and you know bullshit compared to uh knowing actually how to wrestle which uh, you know it's been a while i'll I'll say since uh even nikki bella has delivered maybe a uh a strong in-ring performance so uh brooklyn was not kind to these two and their um characterization on this show i found particularly interesting and i wonder if it was uh the the intended reaction Maybe it was this crowd that was just so on top of things that they thought, let's boo Bree out of this building and just send Brian 
out of this company in disgust at us, the fans. Like, so that he can go work somewhere else? Yes. Yeah, maybe. I don't think that was the idea. <laughs> I don't know if uh, the audience is that manipulative. Uh, the company, though, maybe. Oh, we'll get to it. The main event, listen. WWE won. WWE oh, yeah. Universe Zero. 10-8. 10-8. Oh, it was some masterful yeah. uh, work tonight. We will get there. The Bludgeon Brothers versus Big E and Xavier Woods with Kofi Kingston in the corner for the SmackDown Tag Titles. Bludgeon's got the advantage on Xavier Woods early on. They tried powerbombing Woods onto the steps on the floor, but he fought them off. Big E gets the tag, hits belly-to-belly suplexes to Rowan and Harper, fired up. Woods hits a Topekon hero to Rowan, uh, but then runs into a spinning side slam by Harper. And then Rowan comes off the apron with a crossbody to Big E on the floor. Just everyone flying all over the place. This turned into a really fun match. Uh, they hit the crucifix bomb onto Big E. Xavier Woods makes the save, and then Woods kicked out of a sit-out powerbomb. Big E was able to hit the big ending onto Rowan on the floor. They fought onto the edge of the apron with Big E going for the Uranagi off the apron down to Xavier Woods with his double knees, but they didn't really land it as intended. I don't, hit- I don't know what they were thinking with that one. Man, I think that's a uh, stupid move to begin with. Big E, you're nogging a, a man, any man, <laughs> much less a guy as big as Harper, onto Xavier Woods' poor knees. But d- deciding to, to do it off of the apron onto the floor? I don't know how that could have uh, uh, been effective. And it didn't even look good. No, and I was kind of glad they screwed it up because I think it would have been painful to hit this one perfectly uh, for exactly the reasons you laid out. Um so anyway, Woods hit the limit breaker elbow drop onto Harper on the floor, and then Rowan just grabs the mallet and starts attacking Woods and Big E, and the bell is called. Uh, audience was not happy with this finish. I thought this turned into a pretty good match. I just thought this was a very lazy way to get out of it, and I'm not even disagreeing with the disqualification that here we're the New Day were finally able to present a threat to the Bludgeon Brothers, and they panicked and went to the mallets, but it just felt so... Like, this took two seconds of thought as opposed to some clever way to do a disqualification and get out of this one. Well, all the finishes on this show, uh, like, I would say most of the the kind of screwy finishes in the WWE are kind of from, like, the same textbook of maybe, like, five different types of DQs that they use all the time. And I, I, I suppose this was one of them. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. The story they wanted to tell, though, like you said, was that I think the New Day have finally figured out a way to beat the Bludgeon Brothers, and that is by almost killing themselves. You had Woods here do that <laughs> insane, like, diving elbow to the floor from the top. Uh, if that's what it takes, I guess, yeah. I, I, I don't mind the story whatsoever, but man, I feel like we're at an age now where, like, these performers just need to settle down, and we're, I'm not even talking about New Japan, just even within the WWE. So anyway, that's the story here. The New Day has to take more risks than usual, because they need to beat the uh, Bludgeon Brothers. So we were just discussing Matt Hardy. What are the chances that <laughs> Bray Wyatt gets linked with the Bludgeon Brothers again for this and makes this a three-on-three program? Uh, I don't know if I like that. Well, first of all, they're on a different show. But secondly, I think that's a step back for the Bludgeon Brothers. Who are It's definitely a step back for them. I, I don't like the idea, but Bray Wyatt is odd man out at the moment. And I, could very, and I don't think the being on separate shows matters one bit for them. No. 
But I, I think the Bludgeon Brothers are finally kind of like making a mark for themselves a little bit. I think they still have a ways to go despite being champions. Um, but I just, I don't really like the idea of, of, of them going back with Bray. What show is Nikki Bella on? SmackDown? I, can, I, I can't tell you. I'm I don't know the answer. I'm pretty sure it's SmackDown. Yeah, not sure. So tonight she's in a raw angle. It wasn't an angle. I guess. Yeah, she's she's linked with Ronda, and that's obviously leading to something with the belts. Maybe she's back on Raw. Maybe they were making. I, I fully expect them to do something with Ronda tomorrow night. Yeah. Corey Graves called this uh, disqualification unholy. Yeah, so they're going to continue the program. I would like the feud to be a bit more personal now. It's, you know, it's it's been like we. I feel like I've already seen this match before. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have. Right? They've done this match before, haven't they? The New Day and the Bludgeon Brothers? Yeah. yeah, they did this prior. This was one of the Bludgeon Brothers' first feuds. Oh, okay, right. Anyway. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, like, the Bludgeon Brothers really kind of have to mm, bring out some type of personality or some type of connection that that just seems to be missing. I think, you know, them finally finding a match, and not just a match, but a team that can beat them here in the New Day is a step forward, but I, I'd like to see the feud a bit more personal now. What if... Because of this heinous attack with a mallet, Paige fires them from their job. So now the Bludgeon Brothers cut a bunch of uh, promos, and they've got more uh, more substance behind their words because they've got to promote their next uh, their next uh, job, their next uh, project. I think it'd be great. Being- it's a great idea. I think it'd be better if they waited till maybe like the last week of December to shoot those, so that they can know how cold it is. That's probably the best way to do it. Right before the biggest snowfall of the year. They should do it right before, the day before. Yeah. I agree. Then we got a trailer for the next season of Total Divas, which comes back September the 19th. Man, we got so much in this trailer. Way We had uh, Naomi and Jimmy Uso teasing a divorce, which is Naomi's worst fear. We had a naked, presumably naked Rusev and Lana censored making out on the beach and being scolded by Mark Carano that they're a PG company, and thus you're not allowed to have sex with your significant other? Oh, uh, wow. Can't wait to see how that turns out, yeah. And the, and this cameraman is just shooting this on the beach. Yeah, wow. The, we, also, it, we also saw a Nikki Bella flirt. This was, this was actually a news story. What? On TMZ, that she was flirting with some waiter or something like that, to make John Cena jealous, and then she admitted this was all a prank or something like that, and she shouldn't have done it. Oh, wow. Lots, so much to unpack. Oh, it's, <laughs> it, that's all yours. I won't be watching right. a second of this. You got Lucha Underground, I'll take a total, but total Divas, sure. Then they showed John Stewart in the crowd with his son. His son didn't do any acting on this show, so jury's out on him. Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens with the Money in the Bank briefcase. On the line. Huge chant of get these hands as the match began. Man, Kevin Owens got got his own uh, KO in the bank t-shirt made. Yes, which was really clever to throw people off. Which, my goodness. Our, our first uh, example of manipulation on the show. Uh, that we know of. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's For all we know, they could have told more. him, hey man, 30 minutes, you know, you're going over <laughs> Sorry, uh, <laughs> Seth and Dolph went tw- 20 minutes longer than they were supposed to. Uh, we got to cut something down. Yeah. Owens got shoulder blocked to the floor. 
Strowman did his deal where he sprinted around the ring, sending him down multiple times, upside down. He choke slammed this poor guy onto the ramp, power slam inside the ring, and he pins Owens in a minute 55. The announcers called this very one-sided, which was accurate. And boy, I joked about this on Twitter, but I would love to see the sequel to Kevin Owens 365. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, at least... It ends with uh, Shania Twain coming back to Montreal because he did technically beat Braun. So I hope she follows up with that. This was uh, just a total squash, maybe even Kevin Owens' shortest match in uh, on the main roster, I have to believe. Oh, I I have no, especially on pay per view, even um, including NXT might might yeah. include might include television as well. Include, I don't know if he's might include Ring of Honor, like might include everything he's ever done. Who knows? Uh yeah, I, I, I we'll have to contact Pat Laprade. What are the five shortest <laughs> matches in the history of Kevin Steen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Braun had a big role, uh, or so we thought, uh, coming on later in this show. So I think it was important to make him look strong. There was really no point in having this be that much. Well, there was a point, I guess, to to keep Owen strong too, but they clearly don't care about that. Uh, I just, you know, he went through all that effort to make a shirt all for this squash match. I feel so bad for the man. I just. What, I don't even want to see Owens try to like get anything back from Braun after this. I want to see the man move far, 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 far away from Braun Strowman after all this. Yeah, I think everyone that is a fan of Kevin Owens is going to be upset with this finish. I don't mind this kind of booking where Braun Strowman is the clear-cut next challenger for the title, and you make your next challenger as strong as possible. Um, you can argue, should Kevin Owens be the one in this role as opposed to an Elias or a Jinder Mahal? Mm-hmm. But it was Kevin Owens. So I don't mind the booking, but I feel Kevin Owens is not the person I would be putting in this role. But that's where he's slotted. That is where he's clearly slotted. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's changing overnight either. Yeah. Next up, interesting match. After chatting with you about this earlier this week, it actually... Heightened my interest in this match. Carmella, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown women's title. This was certainly a match that I think I was looking forward to. Uh, one of the mo- one of the matches I was looking forward to the most here. And, and that's mainly because uh, of the Becky-Charlotte interaction, which I think has been done very well. Yeah, and I really like, you know, the different avenues you can go based off the finish uh, of the match. Whether you put the title on Becky or Charlotte, which I was pretty confident they were going to put on one of them in this match. So it began with kind of this, like, silly spot. Carmella slaps Becky in the back of the head and then just sneaks away. And Becky starts accusing Charlotte of slapping her. And they started arguing. So they're starting the match off as, you know, complete friends. They're doing their teacup little dance together. Uh, but, yeah, Carmella t- kind of drives, starts driving a wedge between them. Carmella had the advantage over Becky and mocked her inside the ring. Charlotte returned, took out Becky with a running uh, spear uh, which was originally directed at Carmella, although Charlotte didn't make any sign that it was a mistake or anything. She just followed through with it. Charlotte, uh, uh, both her and Becky went for pinfalls on Carmella. Carmella then went for a handspring uh, Hurricane Rana off the top, got stopped by Charlotte, who dumped her off the turnbuckle into a Boston Crab and transitioned to the figure four, which got broken up by a top rope leg drop from Becky Lynch and maybe new producer or at least uh, producer in training, Matt Hardy could tell her about the, the perils of that spot. I wish he was producing his brother's match later. Uh, so he, he could tell him all that. Charlotte attempted the natural selection, but Becky countered it into the disarmer 
Carmella then broke it up, was thrown to the floor. Becky landed this twisting Uranagi onto Charlotte. Carmella returned, breaking that one up. Uh, we got several near falls from Carmella, including using the rope for leverage. And then Charlotte gets sent to the floor. Becky applies the disarmor onto Carmella, who gets to the rope. Becky suplexes her to the center, reapplies the submission. But Charlotte breaks it up with the natural selection, pinning Becky Lynch at 14 minutes and 40 seconds to win the women's title. I like the the booking of this. I had no issue with that, and we'll get into the angle afterwards. As a match, I would say this was pretty clunky throughout. I thought that Carmella was not that great in this match, and I just thought some of the timing, even on some of the, the drop kicks, it just, I don't know. Th- I didn't think this was a very great match. I think this was this will be much more remembered for the angle at the end and, and the booking to, that this sets up. Mm-hmm. I'll say my interest level going in, like like I said, was very high, and I think uh, I, I remained engaged throughout it because, you know, they delivered some very good storytelling. I thought the interaction, again, between Becky and Charlotte, uh, they did very well. Uh, they had some very good near falls that they planned. Overall, I feel like the match delivered, but I agree with you. Technically, there was a lot of sloppiness here, and I don't just pin it on Carmella. I pin it on Becky as no, well. No, it, it was yeah. It's there was Becky. like it was not just on Carmella in this one. Man, yeah, much much of Becky's wrestling still like looks a little too sloppy and sometimes far too frantic. So you know, despite all that, oh, she. I- Sorry, yes. So, sorry, I, I missed one of the big spots was Charlotte delivering that corkscrew to the floor, which, I mean, she didn't hit any of them. It looked like she just did this corkscrew right onto the mat as well. I mean, I don't mind that one because, like, she landed on her feet. It was perfectly safe, and the spin was impressive. You know, I guess could you argue, you know, could t- somebody have taken taken it maybe a bit more? I, I, guess, I suppose so. Anyway, it, 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 technically, you're right. It wasn't the best match. But I feel like the near falls connected, uh, the storytelling connected, and certainly the angle uh, coming out of this match will will be what's everybody talk uh, everybody's talking about. Yeah, the audience booed Charlotte like pretty mm-hmm. vociferously. They were very upset she won the title, and Charlotte and Becky are in the middle of the ring and they hug to more boos. They were not going to be swayed here by Becky hugging this woman. Becky then. Dex Charlotte and the place explodes. They were not expecting this. She grabs the title, holds it up, and this was really interesting. If you're to lay this out, there's no way you could expect any other reaction than a babyface reaction to Becky nailing her here. But if you listen closely to the commentary, it was Corey Graves defending Becky saying, I like this. And it was the other announcers, Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton, that were just stunned at what Becky was doing. So I can imagine they expected this reaction, but based on how the announcers sold it, it seemed like this was Becky turning and not so much just Becky endearing herself as oh a my God. baby face. 100% Becky Lynch is a heel now. There is no, I think, black and white with it. It just happened well, to be. This was this was like that Bailey attack on Sasha as well, where yeah. I think that was the same thinking and that did not take. Well, then I guess they have a track record to, uh, to live up to. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, like the, the thing is, you know, this is Brooklyn, right? And, uh, it's interesting to think, you know, what this reaction to this angle would have been like, maybe in a less quote unquote, smart marquee type of town. Um, because, uh, yeah, they just wanted to see Becky, I think, uh, get something over, over Charlotte. It's not what I would have done. 
I think Becky really just has that natural baby face charisma that this audience clearly wanted to cheer. And Charlotte, the opposite. They were already turning on her. They're, people are calling her the new Roman Reigns. Uh, at the end of this, I, I understand their thinking. They want to keep Charlotte as a baby face because she's going to have those matches with Ronda. She's going, you're going to build the division around her. She's supposed to be this figurehead, whatever, whatever. But I feel like really now at this point, you've really just created another Roman Reigns in Charlotte. Somebody they'll continue to push as a babyface, but someone the crowd will reject, and they're already rejecting her. So, you know, the, I think, though, they will look at this as an overall positive because people are more invested in the program between the two now. It's a, it's a much more personal grudge. Uh, I think the heel turn will help Becky... You know, I think any type of character change will, will help Becky because she, despite her connecting with this crowd, I think she needed something to kind of take her up to the next level. Maybe it'll work out in the way that it worked out for Sami Zayn, ultimately. But um, not what I would have done. Yeah, I just think Becky's such a tremendous baby face. And when I was thinking about this more this week, I really like the idea of Becky wins this match, gets the big reaction, and then it's Charlotte that after all the reigns she's had and Becky has supported her, it's Charlotte that the second this other woman gets any bit of success, she's the jealous one. And you could just have this like deterioration of the friendship. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to that. That like, here's yeah. Becky. She's been like the bridesmaid all this time for two years. Mm -hmm. And Charlotte can't stand her having the title just once um, while she's on the SmackDown roster. And because uh, I just really like Charlotte much more as a heel. And I think Becky's a fantastic baby face. I think she's the best female baby face they have outside of the moment from Ronda at this point. I mean, it very much is like the Sami Zayn situation where I think when he turned, uh, we were all really against it. But I mean, Sami Zayn really surprised us that with, with how great of a baby a heel he ended up being, how entertaining of a heel he ended up being. I don't know how effective of a heel he ended up being, but... Uh, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as... Uh, I don't know. I'm not as committed on the, uh, the Sami Zayn as a success. So no, yeah. I certainly not a, not a success, but he was entertaining in the role. I think... He, yes... Yeah, I think Becky could be as well, um, but it remains to be seen how, how the audience will take it and, and whether or not she'll even end up beating Charlotte for the title, which we don't know. Yeah, I, I guess it just comes down, even a great heel, how effective is Charlotte going to be in the, it, if, if yeah. there is this kind of resentment towards her, which there was tonight, but no reason to believe that's going to trickle to other crowds. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, uh, were you surprised at all where they put this on the card? Ultimately, no. I mean, I think knowing Roman Reigns and uh, how uh, this company kind of views uh, that match, I, I wasn't surprised. In the crowd were Wendy Stiles and their four-year-old daughter, which begs the question, where were the rest of AJ's kids? Well, come on. That, that would be a real handful. Doesn't he have like seven kids or something? Well, it's a handful for somebody. Yeah, babysitter. So, yeah, maybe they're all Joe fans and they believe him. <laughs> they do the in-ring uh, introductions, and then Joe takes the microphone, points at. This was funny. They shoot Wendy and identify her on camera with the daughter, and then Joe takes the microphone and says, uh, "Let me clue everyone in here," like as if they hadn't just shown her. Like it was a surprise that Wendy was there in the uh, crowd. Probably so. for the live crowd, though. Well, anyway. We had just seen her, and then it's pointed out. And I don't know says, if Davey knew. Maybe Davey was like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> he said, Daddy is coming home tonight. And Styles said that 
His family is here so they can see him kick his ass. And then we got a TNA chant at the start. Yeah, wow. Which was something that after all this rebranding to the to the wrestling audience, it's still TNA. It's really uh, I guess we did hear an impact wrestling chant at Slammiversary, didn't we? I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But here there was a TNA chant. Mm -hmm. So there you go. TNA is much more chantable. It is much more chantable than impact wrestling. Mm. Joe starts kicking at the leg of Styles on the edge of the apron. Lands this big tope suicida. The toupee suicida, as someone on Twitter named it. Bravo. Great, really great stuff. Uh, he goes for another one, and then Styles stops him with an insiguri, and then Styles fights back here after being on the defensive end for the opening portions of the match and hit an inverted DDT off the turnbuckle. Styles starts uh, uh, kicking out of several attempts at pins by Joe after a big boot and sent on. Uh, at one point, even hit the landslide, Nakamura's move on him. And then he sets up for the Styles Clash. That gets stopped. And then Joe ducked the phenomenal forearm. Uh, they were just working really, really well here together. I was just fully into this match. Mm-hmm. Joe then catches Joe and hits the Styles Clash, but can only hook one of the arms. And Joe kicks out of the Styles Clash. Joe comes back with huge slaps. And Styles lands a Pele kick, runs into a Uranagi coming out of the corner. And then Styles comes back and rolls into the calf crusher. Uh, but. Joe grabs Styles, drills him into the mat, and then he applies the coquina clutch, traps Styles' arm, and he fights and fights, gets to the rope for the uh, rope break, and then Joe makes the signal for the muscle buster, which is a movie does not use on the main roster. Has he ever? I don't know if he used it when he first came up to the main roster. I don't recall it. Mm. If he's used it on the main roster, it's been very, very sparingly and would have been like right at the beginning when he was called up. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he has. Yeah. Like like I mean at this point it's it, Joe is kind of treating it as his ultimate finisher, which he never only uses in very desperate situations and I really like that. I really like the the subtle kind of hinting at it here and the announcers even kind of vaguely alluding to it without actually saying it. Yeah, I love that they teased it and didn't deliver it. Mm-hmm. Styles is able to Kick him down to the floor. So that move is kind of, it's there in the back of your head for their next meeting, but mm-hmm. was never hit here. I really like that a lot. Styles got sent into the steps, and this is when he came up and uh, was bleeding on his face. Joe got on top of the announcer's desk and told Wendy that daddy is coming home. Styles might not be, but I'll be your daddy. And oh. Styles just lost it. He dives onto the announcer's desk tackles Joe into the timekeeper's area and then beats the hell out of him with a chair. DQ is called at 22 minutes and 45 seconds. Nine times out of 10, I would say a match that has gone this long and you do that DQ finish, I would turn on. I I love this match. I thought that the explanation for AJ to snap like that at that line towards his wife was totally justifiable. I really, really enjoyed this match a lot. This was my favorite match on the show. Might as well. Yeah. I mean, I can't help but be disappointed at the finish because the rest of this match was turning out so well. And I feel like if they stuck that landing, uh, it would have been maybe a classic SummerSlam match. But I understand they want to prolong this story. I can accept it. It's just... It's... It, there's just that fan in me that wishes, man, I, I like imagine if Davey Boy versus Bret Hart and ended in a DQ finish because they wanted to do a rematch at Survivor Series. 
that would have been kind of, you know, uh, left a bad taste in your mouth. But we, we kind of live in a different time. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, I thought the match was great, man. It was like, from the first uh, promo that Joe cut, pointing out Wendy and the da daughter at ringside, the, the excitement level and the heat in this building just turned all the way up, and it didn't really let up for most of it until uh, Joe's second line, which was, again, man, so personal, so scathing that, it totally made you believe and made you want to see AJ beat the shit out of him. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, Styles, uh, after this attack, Joe is going to the back and Styles goes to his family and he apologizes to his to his daughter, who then just looks at her dad. And if you didn't see the match, like this daughter is like four years old. It's like a you know very small uh, young daughter and looks at AJ and just says, Daddy, you're bleeding, which is just perfect. Uh, for the end of this, and they leave uh, the three of them to end this. I, I just thought this was a tremendous match, set up for a rematch, and I feel that most people going into this expected some kind of, like, this was not going to be the end, that this would be prolonged, so I think that kind of cushioned uh, the finish for everybody, um, but they, I, I really enjoyed this. Again, my my match of the show uh, was this. Yeah. I mean, I under, again, I understand wanting to prolong it, but I feel like there are ways of prolonging a feud while still giving clean finishes. And I feel like at the end of this match, they really tried to hit on like sort of a, a Gargano Ciampa a thing here with Wendy yelling for AJ to stop beating him, saying, you know, Wendy saying, that's enough, that's enough. And uh, but yet in those Gargano Ciampa matches, we, we saw clean finishes, you know, uh, except for this past weekend. But uh for the most part, we saw clean finishes. After the after this weekend, I really want to see a segment with Alicia Edwards, Candice LeRae, and Wendy Styles just together, just lamenting. Man, this industry <laughs> sucks. Yeah. These guys are nuts. I really I, I think Joe's really been doing some of the best work of his career thus far as a villain. Uh he he made this match just magical with with some of his uh terrible, terrible, terrible villainous lines. And this crowd just like bought into it. It this this really had the feeling of like an NXT main event. Yeah, yeah, it did. And again, I go back to the fact that this storyline that it very well could have delved into stuff that we've just turned people off of the feud. It could have been just too ridiculous, but it's, it's c completely worked so far for me. Um, yeah. And I, th I think this is one of the better stories going at the moment. They ran a promo for hell in a cell, not the, not our smack chat uh, filter one that's to come. They introduced Elias who since our last uh, show, everybody, his concert was canceled on Saturday. So he never ran one. Instead, he plugged everyone. Uh, he plugged the fact that he'd be doing a live concert at SummerSlam, performing his greatest song ever. Now, is that just the gimmick now? Like he teases performances and then for for what, whatever reason it gets canceled, including that the Gramercy Theater? No, I think that was a legitimate concert they were trying to run. Oh. And I would um, I would forecast that they probably expected a better demand than they received hmm. Elias explains he was once a child but then he grew up to write the greatest album ever he's going to debut this great song and do it here in Brooklyn he dedicated it to the New Yorkers before insulting all of them and as he goes to play his guitar the guitar broke it so snapped it the, snapped yeah and he tossed it away 
and threw a tantrum, and the segment ended. Yeah. The uh, positive was it was short. The negative was I don't feel they had any idea of what they were going to do with this guy until the day of the show and realized this is a long damn show. We we don't need another segment here. Could be, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, his his ongoing thing is that he he's teasing the per- musical performances, and for whatever reason, he gets interrupted or something happens. In this case, they decided to have a pre-cut guitar snap on him. Uh, I ultimately kind of felt like this was a bit ineffective and kind of disappointing, considering that they did kind of uh, announce this beforehand. And like people yeah, were talking, there was like, nothing. It was not even dude, Bobby Lashley here, much less some celebrity involvement. People nothing. were people were talking about The Rock. Being a part of this. Thank God he wasn't. Oh, my God. Maybe they ran it by him. He's like, sorry, guys. I'm busy. Yeah. I got ballers that night. The Miz was backstage, and he ran into the B team, and he said that they're feeding off his reputation and suggested that they can go get his limo ready for him, just like old times. And the B team stands up and says, we don't, we're not here to wish you good luck. We're not the Miztrage anymore. We're the B team which stands for Daniel Bryan, because we hope he wins. And they're going to pitch their own show called Total Fellas. But instead of fellas, it's going to be with a B, and will be called Total Fellas. (laughs) What was more clever, their finish or this segment uh, and the punchline? I'm going to say the segment. Yeah. That took us to The Miz and Daniel Bryan. They showed Maurice sitting in the front row with a baby carriage. Again, I don't believe the actual baby was there, nor did this carriage come into play at all. I thought for sure they were going to try something again with another fake baby, but we just had this random carriage there with with Maurice, too. I can't uh, imagine there was an actual child in there. Why not? The child didn't didn't get involved. It just seems like, uh, well... um, I guess we can't confirm or deny. Maybe maybe the baby was the one carrying the foreign object the whole time. Oh, yeah. Smuggled it into the arena. So Brian comes out in blue and neon green. Quite the new color scheme. Weren't these Seahawks colors? They were Seahawks colors, yes. Yeah. I was just glad it wasn't green and black because Jeff Jarrett might have been watching this and been like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Brian is uh, making a fist. That he's going to punch Miz in the face, which in a actually was ended up leading to the finish of the match. Miz was able to take a cheap shot after he was uh, trying to avoid him going into the ropes and nailed him with a punch and then proceeded with the yes kicks and went for a surfboard. Brian broke free, applied his own surfboard, and then started working on a cravat. Man, I'm surprised the Miz actually got this off. Hit the, uh, the, hit, the surfboard? Hit the, hit the surfboard, yeah. Yes. I, I mean, this all looked fine, but if I had a street fight with you, Wade, okay? <laughs> you wouldn't be going for a, an I'm saying if, Mexican if I, surfboard? If I was so... I have so much hatred for no. you that I, that I broke a glass mm. vase over your head, you would not be going for a surfboard on me in I, retaliation followed by a cravat. <laughs> I know what you're going for, but there was a point to this, and that's the Miz wanting to prove that he is every bit the technical wrestler that Daniel Bryan is. What's more insulting than trying to you know, uh, beat the man with his own moves? I can buy that, but from Bryan's end, I can't. Well, he's just he did it in retaliation to the Miz doing it. It's like 
Miz show, you know, like Brian saying, hey, let me show you how to do that move. The, the match worked out, but it was a complaint of mine that this did not feel like a grudge bout. This felt like a, you know, we we're going to come out and have a technical wrestling match. And it, to me, did not fit the tone of the videos on Tuesday. And like, this was a very big grudge match coming off Tuesday. Like, these two just want to kill one another. And I'm watching surfboards. It worked for me just because of the kind of like one up one upsmanship that was in there. Uh, Brian uh, built up to the spot where I mean he was uh, kicking away at the chest of the Miz, busting up the chest, and then hit a belly to back superplex. And uh, I enjoyed the second half more than the first. Brian started landing kicks to the chest. Uh, he landed more of those DDT. And then Miz was trying to do all of Brian's spots, and then Brian would come back and deliver them more effectively. Uh, we got a dragon screw leg whip from Daniel Bryan, as well as the big slaps. So uh, he was clearly note taking last Sunday as well during the Budokan Hall final. Yeah, we're allowed uh, to do this. We're allowed yes. to slap each other as hard as we can in the face. That's allowed. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he'll be taking them, though. I wouldn't want to see that. Brian kicked him in the head and then set up for the running knee, but got stopped. And Miz used a slingshot, sending him into the post, hit a skull-crushing finale. Great near fall at this point. And then Miz kicked out from a head kick. They go to the apron. Brian misses with a kick, and he connects with the post. The announcers think he's broken his foot, and Miz goes to the figure four. But Brian is able to punch away at Miz, reverses the figure four. Miz gets to the rope. And then Brian is landing these downward elbows, applies the yes lock, and Miz bites the hand free to finally make it to the rope. And then Brian lands a knee off the apron, and Miz flies right in front of Maurice in the front row. And Maurice passes Miz a foreign object that we never actually got to see what it was. But as Nox. Daniel Bryan... Was that what it was? Pretty sure, yeah. I mean... He... That's what I assumed it was, but yeah. we didn't really get any kind of close-up or identifier here. Right. So Brian goes for a suicide dive, and Miz punches him in the face with the brass knucks and passes the object back to Maurice and covers Brian. 23 minutes and 26 seconds. This was uh, the longest match on the show. And The Miz wins. Mm-hmm. I like the match a lot. I thought both men succeeded in telling this story, using each other's signature spots well. I do understand your complaint about this not feeling like it's, you know, that heated match. But I feel like part of the reason is because and also part of the reason why this might not have been my match of the evening or maybe a lot of people's match of the evening is that it's, first of all, it's incredibly tough to follow Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, who just had a war, uh, a very personal heated war before that. And also, let's remember here, we're not dealing with the same Brian Danielson as we had in 2005 or even 2015. This is a Brian Danielson who really has to minimize the level of risk he's taking. And as, as a result, I think you're seeing far more reliance on signature spots that are safe, kicks. Uh, you know, this poor guy, like he's coming in wrestling in a 2018 where he has to compete not just with colleagues and Seth Rollins, Joe, AJ, but on a global level with guys like us and audiences. He has to compete with your Will Ospreys and Kenny Omegas, all with this Handicap that I think I'm glad that he has right now in not taking super crazy risks. So I almost think it's kind of unfair to expect like a Brian's Brian performance to be on the level of like a Kota Ibushi Hiroshi Tanahashi match. Maybe a Hiroshi Tanahashi match. It's it's safe, but I mean even that. I I just try to enjoy Brian's performances for what he can do with that limited palette at this point. Yeah, I mean, 
I think we're kind of downplaying where, where Brian Danielson is at. I mean, yes, he is uh, trying to incorporate a lot of safer stuff, but this is still an extremely talented performer. And uh, I like the match a lot. This was one of the better matches on the show uh, overall. And I think it's also very different when you're doing a match that was clearly designed to prolong this program. And on top of that, it seems like the story they're going with now is exactly what you said. It's Daniel Bryan acknowledging that this return has been a bust and he has not been able to capitalize on this return that he fought for three years to be granted. And he is not living up to his own personal expectations. And I really like that story. Well, that also scares me a little, because what does that mean? How does he ultimately get the upper hand against the Miz? Um, you could, you could do a lot of things. Suicide dives of apron bumps. Well, the immediate tease is that Maurice and Brie Bella are going to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's the, the best option to be going to, but Nonetheless, this feud is going to continue. I thought this could have been just one match. Brian wins, but they're going to continue with no, this. No, I, I think there's like there's way too much uh, history there for this to only be extinguished in one match. So I I expected this match to continue. They might even continue it all the way for like four matches, five oh, matches, like they, like they seem to want to do with all their I, I can't say I had the feeling at the end of this match like I did Styles and Joe where I'm just counting down the days to these two having another match. I think that's the limitation that these two, mm-hmm. you got 23 and a half minutes of it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, again, I, I, I kind of like the Miz is not a slouch. We've seen him had some have some pretty good matches as uh, this year. And we're talking about Daniel Bryan as well. So I feel like between the two of them, they can come up with like a, a very interesting combination. And again, I like this match. Uh, now to get me for a rematch, though, I think they have to kind of maybe level, level it up where they can a little bit. Then they promoted the Mae Young Classic, followed by a Big video. I mean, this was really well done for the Super Showdown with the the mm-hmm. match they are building everything around as the final match between Triple H and The Undertaker. Uh, this was an outstanding video, I thought. Like, was, their whole history. Yeah, it was really well done. I think pretty much the uh, their, their, the main match that they're pushing for that stadium show in Australia. It's been six years since they last faced each other. Yeah, the end of the era is now the real the real end. For, for sure this time, we promise. See, this could have just been a match that I think was announced without a video like this. And I, I guess it would have done well. Um, but I mean, by making a video of it and kind of treating it like a big deal, now it actually feels like a match that even I want to watch. You know, this was, ultimately, this is sort of like, it's a throwaway stadium show, isn't it? How weird does that sound? Throwaway stadium <laughs> show. Yeah, we'll have a... F- couple 50 60,000 whatever it'll be their second one this year it was funny like they were promoting so much stuff on this show i would say you know the super showdown the evolution pay-per-view the may young classic i would say hell in a cell was like the fourth priority on this show like that felt like the least significant show coming up at the end of tonight is that the when is that one that's the next pay-per-view in four weeks hell in a cell yeah then we went to Baron Corbin and Finn Balor. It was 10 p.m. I hit pause and I went up to get a coffee. I I imagine most people listening to our shows would know. I have been dreading this match. I was not looking forward to this at all. Not just you. Finn Balor has been dreading this match. Finn Balor was clearly not excited about this match. I've never been more wrong in my entire life than I was for <laughs> okay. this. This... Uh, Started with Finn Balor coming out dressed 
as the demon. Now, we talked about this on the show. Why waste it on this match? I can only speak now in hindsight. This was the perfect decision. Really? Why? Because this ignited the crowd for what would have been a dead match. He comes out. I thought, listen, I I didn't think it was uh, something I would have chosen to do ahead of time, but this totally worked. This audience treated what would have been a nothing match so late in the card um, with a a big deal. Just this guy coming out as the demon. I think they automatically place some importance here on him. But you say just coming out as a demon as if it's something that's just so casual. They've been saving this demon thing for over a year now. And we thought that they would, like you said, you know, why waste it on on a feud like this? I'm not even against it myself because I I did enjoy this myself. But to me, like by bringing the demon out here, I feel like they've just kind of given up on any reasoning that they were trying to come up with for this demon to appear. Like in uh like the, like they have been trying to on the main roster, um and I think they just decided to just go back to using him for these big shows and really I can't complain too much you know we've gotten to the point now where we've kind of forgotten about the demon and this was maybe just a nice reminder. Finn Balor to me he is treading water at the moment. I think he really needed some kind of shot in the arm and this ninety second match was it. Um, Corbin sold the demon like he was frightened. He was yelling. This is not what we agreed upon. Match begins. Balor just annihilates him. Shotgun dropkick. Topekan hero. Jonathan Coachman brings up maybe Jonathan Coachman's best line ever. Why doesn't he use this more often? This demon. Great question. <laughs> I was like, great point, coach. Yeah. You're best. Balor hit another running dropkick in the corner. Coup de gras. He pins him in 90 seconds. I thought in some ways this was the best book match on this show. Finn Balor felt like a main eventer by the end of this. Uh, This match that I was dreading was a tremendous win for me on this show. I was so stunned by how well this came off. And Finn Balor felt like he could could walk into the main event picture tomorrow, which I could not have said 24 hours ago, where he just felt like he was in this middle-of-the-pack role. I just, I thought this was great. Just, I have no complaints about this at all. I, I, I don't know if I'm as crazy about it. I thought this was just a nice surprise. Uh, but I remember, like, they're going to have to explain this next time. Like, why aren't you the demon for your next match? Why aren't you the demon for all of your other matches? And I hope they follow through with a decent explanation as to why. Because they seem to treat this demon thing with a whole lot of care. And they decided decided to cash in that value for some reason on Baron Corbin at SummerSlam, and you know, I again, I I enjoyed it as well. But I think they they need to follow through with the story, or maybe just give up on the story altogether and just make it a cool entrance. I did like the match. I I felt like Corbin selling for the demon was great, acting all scared. Uh, it's established. It's important to establish a higher level power level for for Balor's demon. I think in ring though. You know, Balor tried to make it look somewhat different. Um, And I feel like, (laughs) other than wrestling maybe a bit faster, it was sticking his tongue out, which he did all match, which I don't recall him doing that much, if at all, for all the prior demon appearances. Uh, I don't know if sticking the tongue out as much as he uh, has been was completely necessary. I get it. It's like, it's the Venom thing. Yeah, cool. You don't actually have to stick your tongue out the whole match. But anyway, 
I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a nice reminder that, hey, this this guy is still the demon. Go and buy that demon merch. Well, I thought this was a home run of a way to utilize Baron Corbin on a on a show. And uh, I, what did you think overall of the pacing of this show? Because um, they put a number of short matches in here. Overall, I, I thought it was fine. Like, I, I'll say by the end of it, I, I wasn't necessarily treading any matches. Even by the time we got to, like, Jeff Hardy Nakamura, I think I was still interested. Um, maybe, it, yeah, like, I mean, I think I think it all had a bunch of number, uh, a number of, like, matches I was looking forward to all towards the end when I didn't, when I had my, my least amount of energy. Sure. Jeff, uh, Daniel Bryan was backstage with a trainer being checked on. Someone sent me this photo, like a screen grab of this scene where Brian is holding ice to his head while they have the chart in the background that reads Anatomy of the Brain. Mm-hmm. Wow. This was quite the visual. Brie Bella walks in, and Brian was so upset that he didn't prepare for Miz to utilize Maurice and, and cheat. Brian says, I needed to win this match, and my return has been a bust. And I really like the emphasis that this loss meant something. It was not just some, uh, it's, you know, he wins tonight, he'll get his win back tomorrow, and none of these wins or losses really matter. This was a significant loss that he couldn't afford. And maybe he's worried about his ranking. Bree gave him a big pep talk that the same persistence he used to get cleared is what he has to use now to fight for his dreams. And Brian told Bree, all right, go back and enjoy the show. I'm going to go punch some walls. These little moments in defeat are very important for the Daniel Bryan character because it's a it's a character that functions on persevering through struggle and without showing I think some of these moments of him suffering you don't want to cheer for him to overcome because you don't know what 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 a what a win means to him. Uh so I think it was really nice that they decided to film this. However, it was very weird seeing Bree here who in the previous segment that she appeared in, I mean, felt very much like a heel or at least was taken as a heel with the, with this crowd. But here she's playing loving wife, inspiration and muse to Daniel Bryan again, uh, not booed at all. So a little bit strange how whenever she's paired with Nikki, she comes across as very unlikable. But when she's with Bryan, it's like a whole different person. Yeah, Bryan also could have been like. You know, you did show up here to watch the show. It would have been nice if you were out there for my match and you could have stopped uh, my opponent's wife. Kind of like what I was thinking, but I mean, I guess she was preparing. (laughs) You you could have really helped me tonight by just sitting in your seat. Shinsuke Nakamura, Jeff Hardy for the United States title. They were in a very tough spot following that quick Finn Balor match and before the two big matches uh, to follow. Uh, So audience, they were really not into this. Um, Hardy started mocking Nakamura's mannerisms, which I guarantee you Jeff Hardy has done before by himself. At a rave, probably. I would imagine so. It's what this match felt like to me, like these two. A rave? At like an after-hours club, yeah. The comfort zone. I could imagine these two having a hell of a a ride-along together. Shinsuke Nakamura and Jeff Hardy connecting at a a level few probably can. Mm. With Matt Seidel, maybe, as well. Nakamura attacked the surgically repaired shoulder of Jeff Hardy. Hardy then attacked his knee, coming back, and followed with the whisper in the wind, getting a two-count. Audience very, very tired. Nakamura set up for the Kinshasa, but got stopped. 
uh, Hardy then got out of the way as Nakamura swung for the low blow, and Hardy hit a twist of fate, climbed to the top, hit the swanton, and then as he climbed on top, Nakamura grabbed the bottom rope. So Hardy powered up by hitting another twist of fate and then taking off his shirt because that will deliver an even harder swanton. (laughs) So he climbed to the top. (laughs) Nakamura rolled to the edge of the apron, and Jeff looked at him. And I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, oh, cross body. No. <laughs> Jeff Hardy <laughs> leaps off of the top, shirtless. And he misses with a swanton onto the edge of the apron. Before you react, Way, can I read you a quote? Yes, please. This is from Jeff Hardy. Uh, he was interviewed by our friend Jan Murphy leading up to SummerSlam. I'm 40 now. And I've been pretty banged up lately. Four nights a week, that's a lot of matches. I mean, they add up. And doing that swanton every night is really rough. So I've actually cut that out of a lot of events. And I've just been using the twist of fate as a finish. And it's helped my lower back out a lot. I pretty much now save the swanton for television. Unless I'm feeling really good at a live event. I'm a little beat up. But my back is a lot better than it was a few weeks ago. Well... I imagine he is back to start now after the spot. This looked awful. And, I mean, the audience did react to this. They showed a pulse here after not being into most of this. Uh, but then Hardy was just rolled into the ring, hit with the Kinshasa, and Nakamura pinned him in 10.58. I think that, that this is just the level we're at now with our expectations of our wrestlers. I mean, we're, we've seen so much wrestling and so much risk-taking that in order for somebody to really make a buzz and catch catch people's attention you have to do something exceptional and if it's not exceptional storytelling if it's not exceptional technical wrestling it's exceptional risk taking and that's i think you know what we saw here from from jeff i mean that dive was your lasting memory of this match and really kind of made the match uh if you want to call it like you know the the big spot of the match so i'm sure you know uh, this was maybe the one of one of X amount of big swantons he has left on his bump card that he decided to uh, just cash in on uh, on SummerSlam because it's a big show. Uh, I thought it was crazy, especially for Jeff Hardy, especially in the same week that his brother might actually be retiring. Dude does does this, but hey, man, I would have said that about everything Jeff Hardy's probably done in his career. Anyway, I, I actually thought this was a good Hardy Nakamura match. I think I enjoyed it more than their last match. Um, I felt like we had a good deal of each of their weird personalities injected throughout this whole thing, and big spectacular stunt. Yeah, I, I thought they were hurt by the crowd. Um, it was okay. It it didn't stand out too much to me beyond the the Swanton spot, and then afterwards, uh, Hardy is left there. Nakamura takes off, and Randy Orton's music plays, and he comes down. And he's getting himself ready to attack Jeff. And then he just turns around and walks to the back. Yeah. Not exactly sure what that was about. He got in his gear for this. Well. He came to the arena for this. He probably walked out and was like, I mean, this guy just dove onto an apron himself. Like, my job is done. What can I possibly do that'll be worse than what he did to himself? He should have like just patted the edge of the apron and laughed maniacally uh, like he, he's working with the, the apron. And that was Randy Orton's SummerSlam moment. Yeah. Walking out, walking to the back. Alexa Bliss, Ronda Rousey, second from the top for the Raw women's title. Very cool moment. 
featured Natalia walking out and wearing her father's ring jacket from SummerSlam 1990 in Philadelphia when the Hart Foundation beat the Demolition in a two out of three falls match, which is a, a really fun match if you go back and happen to watch it. They also showed the Bella Twins in the crowd because they were here to witness history. Alexa Bliss makes her entrance, followed by Ronda Rousey. I don't know about this makeup thing, Way. Uh, I don't know either. I don't know either. The, clearly, maybe um, this is her version of the demon that she likes to bring out from time to time. Uh, this kind of crazy, um, I don't even know what you call it. Crazy. Like, that's what it looked like. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was, it was a small thing, but it was there. Um, it wasn't a small thing. Like when it's on somebody's face for the entire duration of the match, it's not just a small thing anymore. I, I, I think this is like, this was this is probably like Ronda's attempt at like just doing something, you know, uh, special for professional wrestling that she wasn't able to do in MMA. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are maybe criticizing the WWE for demanding a look like this. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. I feel like Ronda probably wouldn't agree to it if she didn't feel into uh, up for it herself. Um, she's trying something new. You know, this is wrestling. It's not MMA. I don't think it works for, for the character at all. It makes her look like a demon. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure that's what the Ronda character demands. So, uh, but nonetheless, I think, you know, because we everybody said the same thing. Like there are memes all over the place for this stuff. Uh, the, everything's everybody said the same thing the first time. I feel like she'll probably just continue doing it. Yeah, like if you, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has seen it, but it it looked like like Sheila, the she wolf from Glow. Sure. Somewhat. Or any like uh, '80s like big hair uh, pop group. Yeah. So Bliss starts the match very similar to The Miz, where she's just leaning inside the ropes and trying to get away from Ronda, and Ronda decks her with a right hand. Bliss then remains on the floor, and Ronda gives up her back, sits down, closing her eyes, and Bliss runs in, applying a rear naked choke, and Rousey just easily breaks free and just whips her with this reverse kataguruma, which still is nameless. Rousey fires up, just eats through Alexa's offense, and throws Bliss over and over again. Rousey is taunting her. She's yelling at the audience, should I break her arm? And she sets up for the arm lock. And we've seen Alexa do it before because she's like got this weird joint deal. She's double jointed. Yeah. So she's bending the arm. Alexa is screaming at the top of her lungs. And Rousey then applies the arm lock and Bliss taps out at 439. Like a one-sided match for Ronda. And... I felt like Ronda came across as like this like bully. over overpowering bully. Yeah. Like and the makeup played a factor in that in how I was watching this. Like here is this woman who's just like looks frightening in comparison and is just beating the hell out of this woman and it was supposed to be like this big baby face win at the end and it was treated like that by the crowd. So I don't even know if I'm in the minority, but the fact you had the same takeaway, I I really thought that the way to set this up would be Alexa with Alicia Fox and it's Rhonda having to overcome them. And then Natalia comes out at the end to fight off Alicia. She gets a massive reaction because of what's happened this week. Mm -hmm. And Rhonda is then able to beat Alexa one-on-one after, you know, overcoming the two-on-one disadvantage wins the title and her and Natalia celebrate. Not all that different from what they did, 
just utilizing Natalia at the end of the match and allowing Alexa something. Like, yeah, I don't know. This just felt like, um, I don't know. It almost like uh, was yeah. too one-sided for me. I think they have something big for planned for Ronda uh, at Evolution or maybe even Hell in a Cell. Who knows? And well, we know they have something big planned for Alexa. Yes, yes, that's right. They've announced her Stratus versus Alexa Bliss at Evolution. Yes. Uh, maybe a bit of a tip-off that she wouldn't be keeping the belt. So yeah, That was a very weird announcement to do on Saturday. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Ronda in this match, though, I think uh, it, it was the wrestling, too. Like, she did way too much talking. And her talking was all like, are you ready? Are you ready for a new women's champion, huh? Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, are you ready for this move? All right. Yeah. Like it was just way too much. And I, I think like it's not, you know, I, I can admit that I think I was wrong because like I when I when Rhonda came in initially, I thought the only way to book her is to have her squash everybody in like 90 seconds. And clearly they took that approach here and it didn't work like to me, at least uh, she ended up being a wonderful baby face fighting from the bottom in all of her previous matches. And I think that's what maybe this match was missing, especially with somebody that that's been booked as strong as Alexa Bliss. Like Ronda just took a hundred percent of this match, and with all the taunting, the makeup is just a, a very small part of it. But it maybe it did affect my my reaction to it too. But then and then just like breaking the the poor girl's arm, I felt bad for Alexa after this. So I don't think this was the reaction that was intended at all for for this big moment. You have to be careful, like you. It's a very tough visual to watch Ronda selling for Alexa, but you had Alicia. Not, not Alexa. Like, it's tough to watch herself for Stephanie. Yeah. But uh, I would Alexa? say even with the size discrepancy, I think that it is, it's not Nia Jax that's in the ring with her. So well, she would I, cheat, you would expect. Well, that's it. Like, there were many ways to do it where Alexa could be the one taunting Ronda, and then you get Ronda snapping, and she gets into the serious mode, mm -hmm. and you make the audience want to see Ronda make the big comeback and stop this bully in Alexa, not the bully in Ronda. And it just felt from the minute this match started, it was all Ronda. And by mm -hmm. the end of it, I, I think he did have sympathy for Alexa. Like, this woman was just annihilated by by Rhonda and made fun of in the process. And it's and worse because Rhonda's celebrating this like it was like she accomplished a childhood dream. And meanwhile, I'm looking at this like you just beat this poor like girl who's ha like half half your size and you're an MMA champion and you're an Olympian and she's a former bodybuilder. Yeah. So Natalia comes in hugging Rhonda as they celebrated. And all I'm thinking is that if they ever are planning this feud, it should not be Natalia. That is the heel. Why? Because I feel that I'm just watching these two, and it's uh, it's probably because of I just I just watched this match, but I just mm. feel that Natalia is like the nicest person on this roster, and it's I don't know. It just seems like, especially this week, where I think the entire wrestling world is just has so much sympathy yeah. for Natalia that the idea of her being a heel here with Ronda, I don't know if it's the best dynamic. I was afraid that they were going to like have her turn on this show. I think that would have been oh, that would have been a horrendous yeah. idea. Well, I'm really glad they didn't. Uh, but like, I feel like I'm so used to Natalia being the heel now, and and Ronda up until this week a tremendous baby face that I think I don't think this will scar her or anybody. Like, I think Ronda will just go back go back to being a tremendous baby face after this. Uh, but I just felt this match was incredibly kind of off tone. Yeah, this this was the first Ronda match I just didn't think was laid out. Well, 
Mm-hmm. I just think you could have got the the exact same outcome and just tweaked uh, a number of things to uh, get the get to where you wanted and preserve Ronda in this kind of babyface light, which I didn't feel was achieved. The Bellas also came in hugging Ronda and Rousey just ran over to Travis Brown in the front row and was celebrating with him. I'm and, not exactly sure what the whole Bellas thing is leading to. Uh, I can't imagine a, a match. Could you? I mean, that was um, Dave Meltzer said that the idea for evolution is Ronda Rousey versus Nikki Bella. Really? Main event. Oh, okay. Which, I mean, tonight I took as confirmation that's where they're going. Yeah. I would imagine that angle is probably going to be shot tomorrow night. Uh, as a first defense, I don't hate it at all because it's, you know, Nikki Bill is a big commercial star now because of uh, TMZ and all that and the E! show and all that. So, well, well, that's the thinking is you have the two most popular women facing off on this pay-per-view. But it's not exactly a match that I, 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 I think I'm looking that forward to uh, technically. Um, so. Come on, Nikki. Come on, Nikki. Where's your man? Oh, yeah. He left you. Huh? Huh? There's my man. I'm going to yeah. beat you. <laughs> Well, uh, I think, though, if, if that is the match, I think we, we can count on a Nikki Bella and maybe even a Brie Bella heel turn to come. Possible. That's how I would certainly uh, structure it. It it felt they were they felt incredibly shoehorned into this whole closing segment. Yeah. Do you think we'll see Ronda Rousey at Hell in a Cell or do you think hold her off till evolution? How far apart are those two shows? Like six weeks. I think you'll see her. At Hell in a Cell. What we've got, we've got Hell in a Cell in mid-September. Then two weeks later is the Australian show, which Ronda's going to be on. Should be on that. And then Evolution is at the end of October. Mm-hmm. So those are all the things we have coming up. Yeah. Um, anyway, they, they did really put it over big. Ronda winning the title. and like uh, it, it did not at all feel like, you know, uh, uh, somebody overcoming the odds in order to achieve greatness. No, she just... You know, steamrolled through the champion. Then we got the Hell in a Cell promo that was specifically designed for Way. So we got Charlotte and AJ using Snapchat filters, but the they changed it to Smack Chat. Yeah. If you read the text. And they go through all these filters, and then we go into all these action shots, and the tagline is There is no filter, just hell for Hell in a Cell. This, oh, oh. wow, this really put the SummerSlam ad, uh, it gave it some real competition. I don't know what type of marketing firm they've hired to do their research into telling them what kids are into, uh, but I don't think you should take that research as literal as they have been with all of these promos that they've been doing. Uh, started off with the memes for SummerSlam. I think it even started off with the last show. What was it, TLC? What was the last one before this, John? Help me out. Uh, Extreme Rules was Extreme last one. Extreme Rules. I mean, even that one was incredibly lazy. Uh, this one, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll say I wish these were actual filters because they actually look kind of fun. But uh, when you think of hell in a cell, when you think of Mick Foley jumping, <laughs> falling off of a steel cage, okay? <laughs> you don't think about Snapchat filters. So the tagline's not even clever at all. Could you imagine if they put like, you know, some like puppy filter over Mick Foley's face as he's being thrown off the cell for this ad? Yeah, I guess. Man. Yeah, anyway. Some somebody out there 
Might enjoy this. Oh, I wanted to mention that um, the gorilla position, they uh, did a bunch of interviews with WWE guys. I saw, I saw two of them. One of them was with Kevin Owens, which was really interesting. And he was asked about the bump at um, the extreme Rules show going off the cage. And he pretty much, I mean, he, he, you have n- never seen a guy just defer more to Mick Foley. He just said, you know, what Mick Foley did was legendary and it's going to be repeated for the end of time. Uh, mine certainly is not going to be remembered like that. Like he just completely blew off his stunt. Like it was like, yeah, I did it, but no one's ever going to remember it like Mick Foley's. Uh, I would never even put it in the league of what Mick Foley did. And uh, it was an interesting interview. He talked you, about the fall off of the, the ladder. The you mean? No, the one when he got choke slammed off the cage last month. Dude, I just remembered that right now. I I didn't even remember that he did that. Yeah. So, and he's not wrong. Like it's totally out of mind and that was what 4 weeks ago that happened, that insane spot. But it was interesting when he was asked about all in selling out and ROH at Madison Square Garden and Owens you know, he said, I'm more impressed by All In because that's not taking place when the WWE has their WrestleMania weekend. And I hope ROH gets to a point where they can do that without it being WrestleMania weekend. But said, you know, I came to WWE at the perfect time because I was done with the independence. I always wanted to get to WWE. I never want to go back to the independence. And he was like, you know, everyone's talking about other promotions thriving. WWE's doing pretty damn good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was an interesting interview with him. That's an interesting point, yeah. Sami Zayn is also cat-sitting for him while he's on the road. Yeah. (laughs) All right, main event time. Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Universal title. Uh, They had this very big pre-match video featuring Paul Heyman delivering this lengthy speech stating that history is written by the victors as they showed clips of Lesnar's wins over Reigns from WrestleMania and the greatest Royal Rumble. Both men make their entrances. There's a big dog on the stage. Oh, God. This thing was just something else. <laughs> they brought back the uh, the augmented reality uh, stuff for, for the entrances that we saw at WrestleMania last. Uh, I thought a uh, pretty atrocious result overall, but I thought for the demon <laughs> entrance, it worked really well. The cloud yeah. swirling on top. Yeah, someone had a great line. They said, this augmented reality is really convincing. It looks like Brock Lesnar is actually there. <laughs> <laughs> So following the ring introductions, Braun Strowman comes out and he said he refuses to be a coward and cash in his briefcase when his opponent's back is turned. So is he going to cash it in and make it a three-way? No, I'm going to wait till one of you is beaten down and lifeless and then I'm going to start a match with you. Wasn't that what we all thought? Like the guy comes out here, says, I'm not a coward. No, no, you're you're not going to fight them when they're at a hundred percent, you're going to wait till one of them is beaten down and after a match, and then you're going to capitalize. So he didn't really come across as all that noble here. So you are pretty much a coward, Braun yeah, Strowman. And, and I, I like, that's just really poor scripting. You know, he shouldn't have said that. Well, I mean, we had the promise that the next time Lesnar shows up, he's cashing it in and he's Lesnar's shown up twice on raw and nothing, not a, know, a, a reference. We're kind of kidding, but like Braun does not look good coming out of this pay-per-view at all like even in character or like but in reality knowing that he he was kind of used as a device of the way he was used to trick this crowd well he was certainly this was a really elaborate six minutes that the wwe booked here with everyone playing a role including braun Strowman. i thought it was very smart what they did 
because oh it, genius yes it genius. allowed the audience to get into the match because whoever won we've got braun as our backup so you know what john it's genius if they decided to never ever 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 come back to the, the new york area again well they're not coming back next year for SummerSlam. they are coming back though for wrestlemania next year so oh, Jesus. uh he wishes them luck Referred to Brock as Beastie Boy, which started a chant, and he's going to stand ringside, and before the end of the night, one of them would get these hands. So I was like, all ready for this to be a three-way, and it was not. Reigns, he shouldn't have said what he said. Like, he should have yeah. just said, I'm going to wait right here. Like, he shouldn't have said the stuff about not being a coward, because he came across like a coward. The match begins. Reigns comes out of the gate. Three Superman punches. One spear two spears, and then goes for a third one when Lesnar locks on a guillotine. Reigns slams out of it. He reapplies the guillotine. Slams out of that. Now Lesnar comes back with German suplexes. The audience starts chanting, you both suck. Reigns sets up for another spear, misses Lesnar, and takes out Braun with a suicide dive, which is a hell of a transition from a spear to end up flying in midair to the floor. Have you ever tried spearing someone and flown out? Yeah, always happens. Just lost your footing, and boom, you take out uh, Braun Strowman. So Strowman's down. Lesnar comes to the floor. He hits Braun with an F5. Lesnar then beats down Strowman with the briefcase, and then he takes this briefcase, and he just launches it to the entrance. This was almost as impressive as the time he threw that car door. Pretty good aim, I'd say. Really great aim. Yeah. Uh, Took out uh, that LED board, too. Man, this was a discus throw. Lesnar hits Strowman with more chair shots, so Braun is left for dead on the floor. Lesnar comes into the ring with the chair. Roman has uh, regained his composure, spears Brock, and he pins him. Six minutes and nine seconds. Wait, if I were to tell you, had I told you on our preview show Tuesday that the Rousey match and Brock and Reigns were going to go ten minutes, ten and a half minutes combined. You probably would have been like, no way. Brock, I mean, he's been involved in very short matches before. I I don't, I I wouldn't, it's not that big of a stretch. If you were to tell me that this would be the finish though, or lack thereof. This was the right length. This was the right length. And the the audience did not completely, I mean, they had some chance in this match, but this was nothing like I expected. I thought this was going to be just an absolute disaster from the crowd. Certainly. And I think everybody did. I think they did. And I thought, yes, they came up with a great solution to minimize the uh, anti-Roman, anti-Brock reaction that we were going to get. By by having Brock come out and having that be the ultimate main event that, that the winner of this match was going to lead up to... Instead of thinking, which guy do we want to be champion, the the reaction for this match turns into, which guy do we want to see Braun beat up? And I thought that was very smart. So smart that when they took it away, uh, I was just like grinning at like, I can't believe they did that. I really can't believe they did that. They finally pulled the trigger. They got the title onto Roman Reigns and... Before Braun is ever referenced, they just go off the air. 11.02 p.m., the show is done. There was no reference to Braun. We were, we just assumed the man is dead on the floor. Um, yeah, like yeah. Th- this was just the end of it. 
if you were not just thinking, wow, they t- they completely worked this audience and they, I mean, me. they, they, they played off a brilliant play here and just using Braun as a pawn in the in the game to get the right finish and reaction they wanted. And then Braun was not even referenced afterwards. I mean, it was I have to hand it to them like they really no. thought this out and it worked. Uh, I can't give him that much credit because uh, it, it'll be in the response that this show gets. It'll be in. Listen, and no, I don't think it's ever a good idea to make your audience feel screwed. Okay, even if it's for the sake of the the reaction on your TV show, we're not stupid. We all know what was done here. This was a sleight of hand, and they duped all of us really well. Uh, I guess I guess in some way we can we can commend these carnies for pulling that off. But do I feel good about it? Do I feel good about investing my time and 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 you know being led to believe that I was going to get ice cream at the end of my meal? And then you said telling me, ah, but you know what? You're 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 under thir- you're not over thirteen or you're under whatever, and, and not getting the ice cream. No, I'd be pissed off. So am I going to go back to this restaurant next time? Well, if they're the only restaurant in town, then probably. But if I had my other choices, I wouldn't. So Brock is scheduled for Raw tomorrow night. Do you ex- What do you expect to be done with Brock tomorrow night? Is there any possibility that he's in a match? Or do you feel that it's just going to be a segment to write this guy off? Uh, what do you anticipate tomorrow? Because I, 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 think, I think Braun needs to get revenge on Brock on his yeah. way out. I think I think you might have some interaction with Braun Strowman to to rehab that dude because I think Braun needs it. Um, I don't think you get a match. All right, that was SummerSlam. Um, I overall liked the show. I I thought that there was, I, I would say it definitely exceeded what my expectations were going in, which were not super high. Um, my match of the show was Styles and Joe. Um, How did you feel about the show? There there was stuff not to like on this show for certain. I thought there was some good stuff on the show. I, I certainly thought uh, uh, my highlights being Joe and Angle. I thought Brian and Miz delivered as well. Um, and then I don't, you know, Becky and Charlotte, I think the story's good, but the match wasn't that great. The main event was just like, I'm still like uh, just amazed that they this company has such a contentious relationship with its audience to the point where they feel the need to just like trick them like this, trick their own paying customer like this. I think that's just crazy. But uh, anyway, I and, and Ronda, that match I was disappointed by. So to me, I go eh, thumbs in the middle for this one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I will say for a six hour show, I think they were much better with the pacing of those six hours um, this time around. I mean, this did not drag like some of the other six hour shows have uh, in the past that come to mind for me. So I thought that was a, a positive overall, and I think that inclu- they were not afraid to do to to shorten some matches that didn't need to be longer. I thought it was a positive. Could you imagine Lesnar and Reigns going twenty minutes? It would have been pointless. Yeah. So I mean, they learned from that at least. So that was the show, and we have a ton of feedback. Is there anything you want to say about uh, Takeover quickly? Any uh, just quick thoughts? Uh, I, I really liked the uh, Ricochet Adam Cole. Uh, that was my match of the night. Uh, great opening tag match. I really liked the uh, Shayna Baszler Kyrie Sane as well. Uh, you know what? I, I lied. I didn't watch the whole main event yet. I had, I think I just like, I passed out because it was so late. Uh, but I caught the finish. I'm feeling a little bit kind of tired of the feud. Like a lot of people are. Um, anyway, 
that I think are- I think they should take a break from it for a little. You can go back to it. Uh, right. Some notes that I did receive is that uh, despite what they may be trying to push or whatever, I was told Gargano's knee was fine, and that was that was the finish. I mean, I don't think too many people were uh, questioning that, but anyway, that was the finish, and it sounds like the knee was fine. And I was also told that Shayna Baszler is not finished in NXT. Um, mm. It seems like she's at least going to be around for for. A little bit. I, I don't know how long, but anyway, those are two notes coming out of TakeOver. It was a very good show, uh, and we have our post-show up on the site if you want to check out that. But we have a plethora, a plethora way of feedback. First off, on a scale of 0 to 10, uh, do you think that this got a passing grade tonight from our ever-so-critical forum? Uh, I'm going to say no. Wow. I will say yes. I'll say they gave it at least a 6, okay? Okay. You're, you're going for under. 6.52. Oh, damn. So, I tried to underestimate them, and, you know, I can okay. never guess this audience. We've got, like, over, like, 20 pieces of feedback here, so let's uh, we'll do our best. I don't know if we'll get through all of this, because we have spent already a, a lengthy amount of time, as people can You know what? Let's cut, us off. let's cut ourselves off at two hours. How about okay. that? Okay, let's try and get as many in as we can. Okay. We'll start with Lara from Vancouver. My first main roster show in three months, and I regret it. There was nothing special about it. It felt like any other B show, only longer. Several DQs, three squashes, and second biggest show of the year. Owens died and was embarrassed so that Braun could be a geek distraction to enable Roman to win. After three years, the company's top babyface is only able to finally beat Brock because of a distraction and direct interference. Why? Sure, AJ and Joe was great, but that's one genuinely great match in six hours. One positive I'll say is that they were smart to incorporate Bliss's double-jointedness into the finish. It made the armbar look extra deadly. That it did. We go to Brandon from Oshawa, who says, I oohed and awed and gasped for many spots in my time as a wrestling fan, but that Jeff Hardy swanton to the apron made my stomach turn. This guy needs to cut the stupid shit for meaningless matches. Otherwise, this was a much better show than I expected. I'm expecting a lot of hate because of some of the finishes, but I actually think a lot of them were well done. They worked and added to the stories of each feud. My one issue was the squash of Kevin Owens. I even enjoyed the main event and the way Strowman got taken out. Seeing Balor and then Hardy back-to-back, it made me curious if anyone has ever been involved in a paint-versus-paint match or loser loses his paint. Do you know if a match of that sort has ever taken place? Mm, Where actual paint was on the line. I am not aware of it. Wrestlers typically lose their face paint as a match progresses anyway. Yeah, they lose that match every night in the in the washroom. Sure. With water. Yeah. Matt from Kansas City, I think this might be one of the best SummerSlams of all time. Even for as long as it was, it felt like it was a breeze to get through. I was playing a video game on my other monitor, <laughs> so that might have been helpful. Yeah, I loved I love Titanic. It was such a great movie. I mean, I had my iPod on. I think that's what WWE should give to every viewer of their pay-per-views. Just yeah. a video game to play in the corner. Yeah, there, there you go. The second screen experience. I won't run down the entire card. I felt a lot of matches delivered and some of them even over-delivered. There's been a major shift in style and tone since the Fox deal. And seeing Hunter at the SmackDown tapings in the latest Chronicle makes me think he's slowly but surely taking over a strong portion of the main roster uh, with the creative. And his question is likely or unlikely that Dean Ambrose and or Demon Balor main event a pay-per-view before WrestleMania 35. Uh, I think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think Dean definitely with Roman. I can yeah. see that happening for sure. And I think Balor rehabbed himself significantly tonight that he could be in the mix too. Um, depending on how you're slotting Roman Reigns. I think the immediate program is Braun. 
Yeah, just I'm not really sure who you who who Balor would be paired with, uh, Roman or Braun, because you got a baby face there. So I'm not exactly sure about him. But Ambrose, I totally see. We got yeah. a Terry who says was a good show tonight. Could have gone without the screwy DQs, but but DQs. But what can you do? Almost thought they were going to have Roman squash Brock for a sec. I loved the Becky heel turn. I wish she would have won. Finn versus Corbin was exactly what it needed to be. Do you think they have a match with Miz and Brian for Brian's career on the line? Career on the line? Um, I don't think it, so. I would technically say no, but you do have the the. If you had a pay per view right before the end of this month, uh, you could maybe tease that and be like, if they had done that stip, if they had built it up to a stipulation like this weekend, where people are still wondering what. Brian's future is going to be. You maybe could have pushed that. Although Brian's been pretty open, like he's pretty much staying. So I don't think uh, you should. I don't think you should ever do a, a career on the line stipulation unless that person plans on retiring. And from what I gather, Brian. Well, he, did, he wouldn't have to win, or he wouldn't have to lose. He could win it. I think the fear, the the sheer fact that you're even teasing it is letting people think that you're done or nearing the completion of your career. You know, it makes you look old. I'll say. Uh, and I just, I don't think Brian is even near thinking about retirement. He just fought so hard to come back. No, no. I mean, the person's just talking about this as like a, a story idea that the guy thinks he's done. Yeah, I think it's too soon for it. Mark from Vaughn. Uh, let's just go to his question here. Which of the programs do you expect to continue? And do you think we'll be given the Hell in a Cell treatment uh, next month? AJ Joe seems natural. Do you think they'll find a way to extend the Miz and Brian story to blow it off at WrestleMania? I don't see it going that long. No. Um, for the Hell in a Cell, yeah, Joe and AJ mm -hmm. is possible. I guess Reigns and Braun, if you want to go to that. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to get two, I would not want more than two Cell matches. I prefer might, one, to be honest. They might do a women, women's match because uh, there, there was one last year. And if that was the case, I mean, Becky Charlotte, perhaps. Mm. That's a grudge enough of a feud. Uh, or Ronda. You promote Ronda with the Hell in a Cell against who? Alicia Fox? Clearly. Yeah, Alicia Fox in a Hell in a Cell. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe maybe you could do the Alexa rematch, but I mean, this was such a blow blowout. I I don't know. I don't know if you really can. Oh, yeah. This is one match I don't know if you really need to do the, the automatic rematch for. We got a Jamie from Leamington. It's 4 a.m. here in the UK, so I'll keep this brief. Wow. I actually... I actually think the use of the demon worked well. A reminder of what the demon is and that the demon means business with a dominant win that hopefully leads to more of a push. Turning Becky as a heel seems misguided. It was a very good match, though. Some really good matches overall that made it a good show. Joe vs. Styles was my pick for the best. New Day and Bludgeon Brothers was good, but God, was it ever sloppy with many mistakes. Owens vs. Strowman, poor Kevin. Uh, what was with the weirdness of Drew coming out last of the four in the IC match doing his poses and JoJo having to announce Dolph to Drew's music? That's just their entrance. Music yeah, we, we didn't hit on it, but the, the announcers afterwards were pushing the idea that Dolph and Drew were going to have to sit down and talk about this loss, like almost teasing some tension between them, which I could see them breaking Drew off at this yeah. point and really going with him post SummerSlam. He goes on to say, or he or she goes on to say, very underwhelmed by the Ronda match, and I say that as a fan of hers, just what, what, winning it in a pr procession with no angle was just bleh. All right, let's go to Jesse from the Six, who, based on his language here, seems pretty upset. They got Ronda so they can get clips on ESPN and on mainstream news shows. They knew the clip of her winning the title would be played on said networks. 
and they ruined it by putting that Mantar makeup on her. What was that? This lesson, this show was a lesson in overthinking things. I almost want to give them credit for getting a quarter of the Barclays Center to cheer for Roman. But nah, F Vince. It's a shitty story nobody wanted. Having Hell in a Cell right after SummerSlam is silly. It means you have to book a bunch of non-finishes on what's ostensibly the second biggest show of the year in order to build to sell matches. Mm. Match placement was also weird. I increasingly think they should follow the New Japan model and just book in ascending order of importance. Do you think that would work in WWE? All in all, a pretty crummy show. I think that would work. Yeah. Order of importance in a card. I mean, tonight's show ended with the top two most important matches, I would say. You had Joe Styles much earlier in the night. Um, yeah, yeah. That that to me would would be the the rejigging, like having Orton or sorry, having the Nakamura Jeff match maybe yeah. earlier on. Right. I, uh, I I I do think starting the show off with the uh, Rollins was a good idea, though. We go to Chris from the Jersey Shore. Overall, a strong show. Good stuff was usually was really good. AJ, Joe, Seth, Dolph, and Brian and Miz. And the bad stuff was short. As someone who was against the demon gimmick being used in non-title matches, I have to say their use was perfect and the crowd went nuts. Overall, the biggest disappointment was the crowd. They weren't great. I think four summer slams and the market overdid it. MJ. People will knock the show in the ending, but this card was very good and lived up to how it looked on paper and more. Joe and AJ was a good match. Was as good a match as I could have expected WWE to let them have. Brian and Miz was excellent. Brian channeling his inner Tanahashi and leaning into strikes before powering up got me to mark out. No doubt he borrowed that from the G1. Great return of the Demon after it was so forced in 2016. The unannounced surprise was well executed. Owens felt buried tonight, and I hope the Ronda match would have been booked better, but still cool for her to win. She's really endeared herself to the wrestling world. It was weird that they didn't have the horsewomen there to celebrate with her. Uh, nice main event. They saved the crowd by incorporating Braun from the start. I don't think the crowd tried to hijack it as much as they were genuinely hot after the Braun promo. Interesting to see how Brock is used tomorrow. Yeah, I could see Braun definitely um, going over Brock, whether it be in an angle or even the small chance that they they get one last match out of Brock. Um, I think Braun is going to be booked very strong on Monday coming off of tonight. That would be my assumption. We go to Damien from Dallastown, Pennsylvania. An overall great pay-per-view. The return of the Demon, the IC title match was incredible, as well as the WWE title match, and I'm not even disappointed that it ended in a DQ. Ronda looked good, however. There was too much talking, and Alexa's selling needs help. I'm glad to see Roman not get booed out, out of the building. What do you think comes from the money in the bank? I wouldn't cash it in yet because it defeats the value of this win. I think Braun almost has to do it now after he got... After what happened tonight, I mean, he looks like a real coward if he comes out tomorrow and doesn't want an immediate match with Roman as a result of all this. He's going to want revenge on Brock first. And but then, th- that's tomorrow's story. And then yeah. I think beyond that, it's going for Roman's title. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to skip down here to Rich in Winnipeg. Uh, okay. Five kickstarts later, and I can see the pre-crisis DC universe. Anyway, on to SummerSlam. The best matches of the night were Joe AJ, where a DQ finish can still tell a great story. Dolphin Rollins, where even early on, this was a good use of having Dean and Drew use sparingly. And Ms. Bryan, where you clearly knew this feud was going to last a while. And like Joe and AJ, the finish would set this up. But do we really need Maurice and Bree to get involved? The Brock Roman match, Roman match went about as well as could be expected with the tease of Braun cashing in, getting the crowd more involved. Let's see what Raw's, what Raw tomorrow brings. Overall, most of the show had decent storytelling, with the exception of Nakamura Hardy. 8 out of 10 show tonight. Uh, I'm going to skip down here to Davey Portman. 
Wow. Who says, all right, lads, long time listener, first time poster, some notes from being live. Do- Rollins versus Dolph was my match of the night. Seth's reverse superplex Falcon Arrow combo was ridiculous and really got the crowd going crazy. The Becky turn was by far the biggest pop of the night. Clever making Balor the demon in his match against Corbin. All night people were waiting for that match for the piss break, and it is amazing how some face paint and ribbons can get people to stay. Considering how personal the AJ Joe feud I really disliked how generic the first 10 minutes were. Trading holds, etc. rather than AJ being pissed and going for blood. The match did pick up after the stuff with AJ's wife. It really woke up the crowd. Gen- she genuinely seemed pissed with the daughter's involvement, though. Finally, the Brock versus Roman ma- match was whatever. They have never managed to recapture the magic they had at WrestleMania 31. It was clever bringing out Braun to prevent the crowd from shitting on the match. However, I thought it made Braun look pretty weak, not challenging the winner even after his beatdown. All right. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, we got a ton of feedback. Uh, so that is obviously up there on the forum. Uh, if you want to go check out other people's thoughts, but glad we got to hear from, uh, Davey Portman, who is there and is going to raw on Monday night as well. And he'll be back here Thursday with Braden chatting NXT. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up. Way and I are going to be back Monday night for rewind to raw. We'll be back Tuesday night with rewind to SmackDown and the double shot for members of the post wrestling cafe. And uh, Wade, do you know what you are going to be chatting about on the double shot this week? Because I know what I'm discussing. I guess I'll be talking about the latest edition of Being the Elite if it comes out. All right. Way is going to tackle that. Meanwhile, there was another show in New York this past weekend. On Friday night, it was Joey Janela's Lost in New York. And I'm going to be reviewing that show on Tuesday night for members of the cafe featuring Matt Riddle versus PCO and... There was so much to this show. I cannot wait to chat with Way about Joey Janela's Lost in New York. Oh, man. I almost want to kind of see it because Spring Break was like one of my shows of the year. Uh, Well, I ordered it, so I'm sure you can. I'm not going to have time. I'll wait for to hear the the reaction. All right. Uh, So lots of stuff coming up. We'll have the whole schedule out on Monday for you to check out. Thank you to everybody for tuning in, uh, both to the TakeOver Post Show on Saturday and tonight's SummerSlam show. We're back after Raw on Monday night from the Barclays Center. Uh, Anything else to close out with, Way? Nope. Good night, everybody.